Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Jeffrey Michelle. Uh, his book is Trust is a Double-Edged Sword. Trust me. There are two reasons we don't trust people. We don't know them. We know them. Just ask Jeffrey Michelle. At the age of four, he was kidnapped. The next year, his parents divorced, and he was raised by his alcoholic mom. As an adult, his marriage fell apart, and his kids were turned against him by his ex-wife. Later, he was badly burned by a business partner whom he labels a psychopath. He certainly has reasons not to trust others, especially when those closest to him violated his trust. But there is hope. In his book, he shares a profusion of sharp insights and examples of displaying the double-edged sword of trust. He examines the role of trust from whom consumers buy from, uh, to which news media to follow, to which politician to support, and to which people closest to us are worthy of trust. Jeffrey is founder of Candor Capital Partners and has been featured on the Today Show. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Nice to have you on today. Thank you very much. All right, well, so I understand it, or you can tell us, how is your book going to help or empower us, uh, the reader, to ensure that we don't fall prey to untrustworthy people, as I described in the intro? Well, the word insure might be a bit of an exaggeration, because unfortunately, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen out there. But the intention of the book, and the reason I wrote it, was number one, it was a cathartic experience going through this horrible experience with my crooked partner, who is a psychopath. His wife went off a terrace last year, and it's both of insanity. But putting that aside, it was cathartic. And then I really started thinking about this word trust. And I'm an extremely trusting person, but I started recognizing and realizing that trust is the core to everything we do in our lives. Every single thing, trust is the pillar of it. And I started doing massive research on this word. And I started discovering so many things that are relevant, not just to me, but to everybody. Every one of your listeners, every one of my readers walk away because it's like, whoa. And I wrote this book with a very important intention. That was to be much more aware. Not to kick the can, not to focus on things, but to be aware how implicit trust is in our lives and be smarter about recognizing not to make same mistakes again. Well, you've said, and I'm quoting you, that the world is not running on trust these days, and I do agree with you. So in the context of the world not running on trust these days, how are we going to develop that trust? Well, I'm looking at your past history, and I'm thinking about all the things that happened to you. So I'm assuming at those or that point in your life, you weren't that aware, or you didn't have a self-awareness, or something was going on, you trusted too many people too many times, too often. Well, well, you hit on a bunch of things in your statement and there's, you know, validity to what you're saying. I, I think I'm, you know, one of everybody listening. We all have similar commonality in that yeah, we, we want to be trusting. There are some people out there that trust nothing or anybody, but there's a nature that you want to be trusting, you know, whether it's with your spouse or friends, your kids or in business, the, our inkling, our nature. So we want to trust. I happen to be someone that's a very trusting person. And by the way, with all the terrible experiences, I still am a very trusting person, except just smarter about it. My, my point is that we have to be, like, be much more conscious. We have to be much more aware. And when something's wrong or you feel it, you, know, you, you have that inkling that, eh, don't kick the can because your gut, the majority of time, is going to be spot on and you've got to address it. And if you don't, ultimately you get bitten really hard and you know where and it could be very costly. That's what happened to me. 
And you know, and I share very detailed stories. I had to use a pen name writing this book, which is Waywill. That's the author. Combination of my middle name and my son's. Mine's Wayne and my son is William. Because the publisher wouldn't allow my name because they were afraid they were going to get sued. Because I go into such detail of this heinous activities of my ex-partner, whose name is David Kushner, really bad guy. I go into such details about him. They were nervous. And I, I, I have no fear. You know, I have to disclose. This guy's going to go to jail, I believe, being sued by the planet. And it was just a horrible, horrible experience. But there's not one person that I've spoken to, and I guarantee that all your listeners, listeners that are hearing me speak today, not one of them, not one of them, there's no exceptions, has not been violated in trust either on a personal basis or in business or both. And not one, there's, not, no one, there's no exceptions out there. We just got to be a lot smarter. Yeah, and I would agree. And there's probably a bell-shaped curve in terms of that, those reactions. Or mo- Most of us fall in the middle of it. We've had some experiences or even similar experiences to you, and then there are people on either end. But uh, you write about the Ten Commandments of Trust. So can we talk about those and put those in a context? What are the Ten Commandments of t- Trust? Well, I, I can't, it's, it's, it's kind of detailed so for me to be able to recite all of them because I go into a bunch of different things. And candidly, they are uh, excerpts from the book, you know, in terms of different chapters, things that I pulled that I think are really important. You know, the first one, which is I just hit on a little bit before, your gut feeling, your gut instinct. You know, don't defy your gut instinct. Now, that's a superficial statement because sometimes you have to use analytic things to make decisions and you know, there's much more than just your gut, but, you know, when it comes to relationships with someone or a person that's in your life, if something's wrong, you know, you have to recognize it. And, you know, I, well, the first time I got married, my ex-wife went through 20 attorneys in my divorce. I have two chapters about marriage and divorce in the book, by the way. And when I walked down the aisle, when I walked down the aisle, I had second thoughts. I was, I had trepidation. My dad actually warned me and I rationalized away my trepidation for the wrong reasons. And ultimately, I went through the most heinous divorce. You know, when it comes to emotions and the way you feel about someone, it, that gut instinct is such a powerful thing. And when it tells you something, you, you got to listen. There's other things. You know, today I, I want to stop you there because the I agree with you. And I Please. think that one of the things is, and I, I before you even said it, I, I just jotted down rationalize because that's what we tend to do. I think the first. Perhaps the first instinct is to rationalize. Well, maybe, or maybe in the case of your ex-wife, she's not so bad. This is going to be okay. And then, how do we get beyond that, though, and say, okay, no, I really have to take a look at this, and without being always uh, looking behind your back or looking over whatever you do, you know, like always look, thinking every, mistrusting everybody. You don't want to get into that kind of a emotional situation either, do we? Clearly not. I, and I will tell you, as we're speaking today, I have a lot of very dear friends. I have a lot of people I trust implicitly. Even, if, even with all these horrible things, I still have a bunch of people in my life that are so meaningful to me. And, you know, I also have some gray hair, so, which, uh, you know, is, is a definition of experience. We've got to just get smarter about basically the things that have happened to us in the past and, in, in, and not rationalize in a way. There's no perfect answer here. There's no guarantees, but, you know, I would allege or rather I would state that as time goes by, these experiences hone our skill sets and our ability to deal with things. And unfortunately, it's still going to get nailed. There's still going to be things that happen. You know, it's in business particularly, you know, it's just, it's difficult. We just got to get smarter, but but to get smarter, 
you got to listen. And if you listen, then you can hear. You got to hear your brain and you got to hear your, what your heart says and you got to use instinct. Okay. You talk about in your book how, and I, how trust starts in childhood. So let's, let's start because if you're going to be that kind of person that you're describing, listen to your instincts, listen to your gut, be cautious. That's another word that comes up in my mind anyway. So how do we start in, in childhood? You know, we teach children that people are, are good and kind and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And that doesn't always work out so well. They have to be a little savvy. I think savvy comes into play even when you're young. Well, so it's interesting because that, that chapter in the book that you just mentioned, it really gives a chronology of us as human beings, how we are trusting and how we evolve in terms of the way we trust. So now, if you, you know, I talk about infants, babies, they're a thousand percent trusting. They totally, you know, they don't have uh, choices, you know, they don't even have choice, but they totally trust their parents. They love their parents. They, they, they don't know anything other than that. And then all of a sudden they become one or two years old. And then at two, they start to change a little bit. They start seeing things. And as each years go by, the degree of maturity experience start to impact them from a trust perspective of how much they trust or do they trust their parents as implicitly what they're being told. And they start developing their own God. That, that chapter is more of a, a barometer on how we advanced um, in, in trusting and uh, uh, it, that's really what that chapter is about. But, you know, again, as we, I just said, I had gray hair. I know a lot more now, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes. I will not do it again. I mean, I, 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 I tell a story about, I, actually when I was interviewed, I, I'm a real estate guy, I buy buildings, you know, I'm running around and I was ready to close on something, had all the money up, spent a lot of money on due diligence and on, on uh, uh, the financing. And the only thing I didn't do was a site inspection without going over the detail you know, I walked the property three times, and my gut, I just had a funny feeling. There was nothing there that I saw that was so extreme and bad, but I just had this gut, gut feeling. I turned to my partner, who I was doing the site inspection with. I said, we're killing the deal. He says to me, we're going to lose $80,000. We're ready to close. We got the money. We got the finance. Why? I just don't have a good feeling. Before writing this book, before all the horrible things that happened to me, I would have rationalized the way my gut feeling, and I would have closed the deal. So... You got to, you know, as we go along, these experiences, the judgments we make are based upon things that have happened, but you can't kick the can. We got to be responsible. There's so many people out there that have relationships where they're questioning or they rationalize the relationship. I had a friend who, guy in a long time, 20 years, and a good looking guy, very successful. And every time I go sit with him, you know, he always talks about himself. There's a whole chapter about friendship and who's really a friend. And... You know, it was always about him, always about him. He always had problems with women and da-da-da. And, he was always talking. and I sit there and I listen. Every single time, every time we got together for drinks or lunch, it was all about him. If I brought up anything about myself, dead eyes, like no, no like real interest. I finally got to the point the last time this occurred was two, three years ago. And I said to myself, I'm done. I'm not spending more time. I'll always be nice. Hi, how are you type of thing. And I, I said to myself, as I walked away, and I described him in the book, I said, this is a guy that lives in a room where all the walls are mirrors because all he does is look at himself. Do we need to have people like that in our lives? Yeah, I'm, if your listeners are listening to me, I guarantee you, they say, oh, I, that's my friend Bill. That's my friend Jill. Or this. Everybody knows people like that. Time is of the essence. Find quality people that are sincere, that are really in your corner, that become part of your team. And team for me, that's, it's not a word. It's an acronym. Together, everyone achieves more. Okay, th- that's your team. Uh, that's the acronym. 
Let's talk about intimacy yeah. because I think, uh, you know, as a social worker and having counseled couples for instance, for instance, uh, trust is always a big issue. Uh, they c- come to therapy or they come to counseling because on some level they don't trust one another. And and so it, it, it seeps into the relationship, obviously, in a very negative way. So intimacy and trust. Let's talk about that. Well, look, again, that that's corollary, again, to maturity. You know, there are people out there that can't be faithful because they just got to constantly chase new things or, you know, just their nature is um, lack of commitment. Um, you know, the reality is intimacy uh, is something that changes substantively as we go along. Um, you know, I'll be honest to tell you that, you know, you know, when you're first with somebody as a guy and fairly good looking guy, been with a lot of different people, you know, the thought is, oh, the thought, the great, oh, my God, you can't wait. Da, da, da. And after you're with the person for a little while, that physical component wanes. It's not the same as it was originally. And then when you're with somebody for a long period of time or, you know, in a relationship, it, it, just, it just isn't, this, you know, it, it's more, it, to some extent, it becomes functional and uh, maybe obligatory or, you know, we enjoy it, but it's not the same. So then, of course, then also you spot this beautiful woman that are like, oh, my God, and my heart starts to beat because she's so, you know, the question becomes what's important. And I would argue there's a chapter, the two chapters on marriage and divorce in the book. And there's a second chapter is 30 plus. I interviewed 30 people married over 30 years and I asked them 30 questions. How do you keep it together? What's the secret thoughts? How do you define intimacy? The number one thing relative to being with somebody committed to you and to be committed to in your life, all of them, the number one thing they said, you got to be with your best friend. You got to be with your best friend the person you really enjoy being with, that cares about you, that's implicit, no matter what you're together. And all of those other things, they start to wane. Then you don't have that suspect then because you know, best friend, we're team, we're sticking together. Yeah. So if it's your best friend, it's somebody that you trust. And Right? I mean, that's what you're saying, or that's what I'm hearing yeah. anyway. Your best friend is that with somebody yeah. you trust. Okay, let's, I'm kind of skipping over to something else because we're all, now with the media, I mean, this is, and what, how, who do we trust? I mean, I, I don't try, I, I get stuff on my, you know, advertisements on the computer, uh, you know, online. Uh, I don't trust, I, I really don't try. I'm beginning to not trust anything that I read or hear or uh, re- see in, in the media. So where do we, how do we, what do we do? I mean, well, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. you know, you went back, you went back to the statement earlier on when we started our, our discussion, our interview about, you know, in this country, you know, that the, you say the trust is, is, you know, adult is really bad. I, I would argue that trust right now is an all-time low. When I started writing the book, I looked out my window. I was in Manhattan at the time. And I, that's the statement I said to myself. And that was the catalyst for me to start really thinking about this and, and writing this book. There's no trust. There's no there's, the hatred and the antipathy, apathy out there is at all-time highs. And a and great portion of it, the majority of it, it's fueled by agendaized movements, you know, these extreme movements, the woke movements, you know, creating separation and all this nonsense. And, you know, it, it, so then you have the media, depending on which station you're listening to, takes the side of the, you know, opposite sides, and you're being inculcated with, you know, negative stuff or things that they're saying. And now most people, you know, they're not, you know, they listen and they, and they believe and they may not be, you know, up to snuff with all the things going on, and they become believers in the extreme. We right now 
it's the worst it's ever been. The political situation in this country, and this could, we could talk forever on that, is, mm-hmm. is the worst that I, I've ever seen. And you know, again, I've got gray hair, and I don't want to get too extreme, but I think Biden will go down as the worst president this country has ever had. No less his competency, but all the things that are going on, all these movements, the hatred, the BLM, you know, that was a Marxist movement. And, and look, they stole all the money. You know, there was a, it came out in the New York Post. They, they went from Black Lives Matter to buy large mansions. And then, you know, it, it, so the, 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 the hatred and the apathy, it's, it's all these highs, the separation. It takes a disaster for us to come together. I was in New York City on 9-11, and I left my office that day. It, it, we're all stunned. I see people walking on the street in a state of stun. But one of the things I noticed that day, everybody was grabbing everybody's hands. Everybody was helping everybody. It didn't matter whether you're black, white, yellow, red, purple. We were all Americans that day, and we all came together. We all coalesced as a team. But it took a natural, this humongous disaster to bring us together. And today, the separation amongst everybody is at all-time highs. All this political nonsense. And if you, you go against it, all of a sudden you get slammed in the media or on social media. And uh, it's, you know, the cancel culture, all these things that are happening are so toxic and it, it's a very dangerous time. Uh, I agree with you. I, I, we're probably at opposite ends of the political spectrum, so uh, maybe it's 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 good that that okay. we're talking. Yeah, I mean, as you say, we can get into politics, but uh, I think it's both sides, all sides. If I mean, in, in terms of yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's uh, a lot of distrust, mistrust on both sides of the aisle, and um, I don't know where we go from there. We, but yeah. Uh, so, so if we're not supposed to necessarily buy what we're being sold, we have to do our homework. We have to do something. We have to be critical thinkers. Not that everybody is a critical thinker, whether you're looking or listening to something on the right or the left or something in between. So as individuals, we have, I think this is what you're saying. We have to take responsibility for our own belief system and our, in terms of, what, who we trust and what we trust them about. And we don't, aren't, don't seem to be able to do that. Uh, and, and that's, as you say, we are at an all-time low, I think, because of that in terms of trust. But not being sold a, good, a bill of goods, whether it's political or whatever it is. And um, we're not doing that. But we, we, we're not taught critical thinking in schools either. This has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with our educational process. I mean, kids are they're taught to memorize. They're taught to, you know, whatever the teacher tells them. That's what it, you know, depending on the teacher. But we don't teach critical thinking. Uh, I had a, a discussion with, and now I'm with a uh, somebody on my show a few weeks ago, and I was saying, you know, I was uh, captain of the debating team, and you had to debate both sides of the issue. This was in high school. That's a great, uh, uh, you know, uh, it gives you a great understanding and an ability to see both sides of the issues. They don't, you know, debating team, I don't think is very popular now. I mean, that's just one example. And we're talking about this stuff starts in childhood. Um, that's all part of it, you know, what I'm talking about. That's the end of my lecture. And, and that's <laughs> no, but, but, but you're making a very valid point. There's no perfection. There's no, you know, extreme is, is a bad thing. What, what makes sense is the middle road to do the right things. And, there, you know, that's not what's happening in this country. That's not what's happening on anything. I mean, it's, it's really beyond dangerous. There's a chapter in the book called What Happened to the Humans, and I talk about how amazing technology is and how great it, you know, what it's done for us. I mean, I said, I remember 
going across a bridge or going into a tunnel, and I had to go stop to pay a human being a toll. No more. You know, that, that's gone. You know, my plate is read by technology, and I get billed, and that eliminated a lot of jobs. But, you know, it, okay, you know, and it's great that these technologies give us this wherewithal. You consider our phones, you know, the breadth of things that we can do on our phones and how people are glued to their cell phones, you know, a huge amount of time every day. And then you think about something called social media. And that's, an, that's another commandment, one of, of one of the Ten Commandments. You've got to be so incredibly careful what you put on social media about yourself because it's, it goes wild. You know, it can really be dangerous. My matrimonial attorney told me a story. He says all matrimonial attorneys now, when they take on somebody to commence a divorce, the first thing they do is go on social media and look at the other side social media, see what they can find, sort of like as a private detective. And there are things sometimes discovered that are so disparaging or bad that can impact a case. And he told me, in fact, one of his matters, that what this other side did on social media tremendously affected the outcome of the divorce. Social media is beyond dangerous. Social media took down two banks. I was on the board of Signature Bank in New York. That bank was not insolvent. But social media created a run, and the government, candidly, had reasons for you know taking down the bank, one of which is they wanted to eliminate their crypto business. But it was, I would argue that was social, that bank was not insolvent. But social media was the beginning of it. The next thing that we have to really worry about, that's going to be a huge thing, artificial intelligence. As was, great as it is yeah, in the wherewithal that we are garnering, it is beyond, beyond dangerous. Because in the wrong hands, as this develops and the wherewithal becomes that much greater, something's going to happen. And I might predict that an event will occur that will make 9-11 look like a car accident utilizing you know, artificial intelligence. It's very, very scary. So technologies create amazing wherewithals, but that also creates a very dangerous situation and, and the magnification of things vis-a-vis influencing people and creating you know, hatred and movements and all this stuff. So these are things that we know we need to be more cognizant of. And we have to say goodbye. That's a that's a good note to end on, I guess. It's something to think about exactly. Okay. That's great. Yeah, no, this has been great talking to you. Uh, interesting conversations. Trust is a double-edged sword. Trust me, and I've been talking to the author, Jeffrey Michelle. So, Jeffrey, okay, so website or websites we can go to for more information about you, your book, what you're doing. Well, if you go on LinkedIn, there's a lot about me. I, there's a website, Trust is a double-edged sword. Trust me, I don't really post a hell of a lot on there, but uh, on that website, but there's a lot of things out there about me personally, Jeffrey Michelle, about the book, and, and uh, you know, the book's on Amazon, so there's a, a zillion bunch of reviews, you get a sense of what people have to say, and uh, when people spot me on, on uh, LinkedIn, if they ever want to reach out to me, the title of my first book was One Phone Call Away, Secrets of Master Network, I'm one phone call away from people that want to chat or if I can be helpful. Great, thanks so much for being on the show today, really appreciate it. Truly my pleasure, and thank you for having me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 